right, uh, David and I were discussing earlier this week what this lesson should be on. And what many of you may not realize is that after we, we have the audio lessons on Sunday mornings, David and I will go back and forth over the notes, revising them. And a lot of times I'll throw more material into the notes than we have time to cover in, in the lesson itself. And so David noticed that there was a lot more material in the Colossians lesson that we didn't cover, particularly in the Colossians. And so he said, for our Colossians in one lesson, he made the suggestion, why don't we have a part two of Colossians in one lesson? I said, David, that's called Colossians in two lessons. You can't do that. So this is, maybe this is Colossians in one and a half lessons. We'll see how it goes. So this is material I didn't get to cover in the end of Colossians. So you may have noticed we have, we have occasionally we'll throw up a lesson, Romans in one lesson, Hebrews in one lesson, or Philemon in one lesson. And I figured, surely if I can do Hebrews and Romans in one lesson, Colossians only four chapters, I should be able to do that without much difficulty, but that, that's not the way it worked out. So in the lesson on Colossians that we did a couple of weeks ago, we, we really covered chapter 2 fairly well, but then we kind of breezed through chapters 3 and 4, and so I feel like uh, there were some important things that we missed there. So this is a little follow-on lesson to that. Now, I'm not sure what, what we're going to call this exactly, but it's, it's a follow-on to what we covered in Colossians chapter 1, maybe part 1 and a half. Uh, so just a little review in uh, we're going through Leviticus, a topical series in Leviticus, which is what got us interested in Colossians. In Colossians 2, 16 and 17, it says, Let no one judge you in food or in drink in regard to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath, which are shadows of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So the, it says the law was the shadow of things to come. Now, now we have the substance or the realities in Christ. So... On the one hand, it tells us that we don't need to follow the law of Moses anymore. On the other hand, there are things in the law which are foreshadowing what we now have. So by understanding the law of Moses better, it can help us to appreciate the realities and uh, to build our faith up that these things were all foreshadowed centuries in advance. So uh, in, in Colossians, we discussed before... Colossians was written to a predominantly Gentile church, uh, people from mixed backgrounds. It was addressed to husbands, wives, children, uh, uh, servants, slaves, masters. There's a whole range of people from different backgrounds that, that are in there. And Paul expresses concern about two specific things that are doctrine-related. One is... It says, false teachers are coming in with persuasive words, Colossians 2.4. They're telling people that they need to go back to following the law of Moses, circumcision, the rest of the law. And uh, in Colossians 2.8-17, he touches on that. This sounds a lot like what Paul talks about in Galatians. And then uh, somebody, apparently, was advocating the worship of angels, Colossians 2.18 and 19. So he addresses those problems. And he makes his case for those two things by, first of all, Colossians 1, I think he's addressing this issue about the angels. He's saying that Christ was 
involved in creating all things in heaven on and on earth, visible and invisible. So I think of the angels in connection with that. So he's saying Christ created, was divine, and was involved in the creation of the angels. So obviously we don't need to be worshiping angels. And then he talks about the issue of the law. And, and circumcision, he takes the example of circumcision, Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Uh, in, in, in Colossians 2.12, and he says, we've already been circumcised, having been buried with him, with Jesus in baptism, Colossians 2.12. And last lesson, we spent quite a bit of time talking about the significance of that statement and how it connects with so many other scriptures and the significance of baptism. And then Colossians 2.14, it says, the law was taken away and nailed to the cross. So... Uh, Paul says, he, Paul ties our spiritual condition together with that of Christ, that our spiritual lives are wrapped up in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. According to Paul, based on what Paul said in Colossians, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, from from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received. Now he summarizes the gospel here. He says, Christ, was, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, he was buried, and he rose the third day according to the Scriptures. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. So Paul says, this is the gospel I preach. This is the same one I received. It's Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and was resurrected on the third day. So Paul explains in Colossians that just as Christ died, was buried, and was raised up, first of he's raised from the grave, and then he's raised up to the right hand of God, that we also have died with him. He says that's in baptism. And then he says if we died and are buried with him, we will be raised up with him. The, uh, and I, I've thought a lot about this, the statement here in Colossians 2 and 3 about how people view the gospel. What is the good news? The Christ died for our sins, is buried and resurrected. What is the good news? What is the gospel as most people understand it? A lot of people view the gospel as, as something along the following lines. Jesus died for our sins, therefore we don't have to die. Okay? He died in our place. He paid the price all we have to do is accept the free gift. That's, that's the way the gospel is understood by a lot of people. But contrasted here with what Paul's message is, not only here, but elsewhere in his writings, Paul's message isn't Jesus died so you don't have to. His message is Jesus died for your sins and was raised up if you are willing to die with him, then you too can be raised up. That's the gospel message that Paul preached, which is totally different than the one that most people are hearing today. 
And we see this, as we're, we're about to get into, we'll see this, this whole idea developed in Colossians 2 and 3. But I want to turn to one beautiful, simple statement of the gospel. And, and if you get this, this is the simplest message in the world. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 11. If you have a Bible, turn there with me, please. 2 Timothy 2, 11. Wonderfully simple summary of the gospel. If everybody got this, it clean up a whole lot of problems and really help to bring unity about in the Christian faith. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul says, this is a faithful saying. Now, everything Paul says is, is a faithful saying. It's all true. But he says, this is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. So think about that. He says, if we died with him, we'll live with him. It's not that he just that he died for us, but if we, he died for us, but if we die with him, we will live with him. And he goes on, if we endure, we'll also reign with him, and, and he continues, it continues from there. So there's a basic simple message is if we die with him, we shall also live with him. It's not that he died for us so we don't have to die. He died for us and we better die with him. That's the good news that Paul preached. So it's a very it's a very different message. It's got all kinds of different implications because they ask the question, well, how do you die with Christ? What does that mean to die with Christ? There's a bunch of follow-on questions. And so it's not just a matter of he did it all, he paid the full price, and we just accept it. He, he died, and we have to participate in his death, burial, and resurrection. I think this is a great place to start. Before we, When we're talking with people from other Christian backgrounds, before we get into doctrinal specifics and details. Let's first nail down what is the gospel message? What is the good news? And Paul says, this is the faithful saying. If we died with him, we will be raised with him. We will live with him. That's a great place to start. If people agree with that, then you can, you can move on from there. But uh, and I think really Jesus is saying something very, very similar in John chapter 12. Now this is in John 12 verses 24 and 25. A lot of times people think this is Jesus is talking about himself, but if you look at, at, at the whole statement, he's talking about himself, but then he's also talking about us too. Jesus said in John 12, 24, Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it, dies, it produces much grain. And then he, so that's obviously about himself. And then he makes an application. He says, he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So Jesus is talking not only about himself, that he has to die to produce much, to produce much, much, uh, much fruit, much grain. But he's also saying that the same thing is going to apply to those who want to follow him. Those who hate their lives in this world will keep it for eternal life. Uh, really, Paul said the same thing in Romans chapter 6. Let's turn to Romans 6, starting in verse 1. Romans 6 and verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? 
Do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ, these were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we'll also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him, for death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for we're not under law, but under grace. So this is, Paul mentions baptism here, but he's just reminding them that they've already died and been buried with Christ, and that they have to, because of that, they can't continue in sin any longer. They have to move away from sin. He concludes the argument in Romans 6.23. He says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Paul's writing this to people who already are Christians. It's a warning to them to not go back into sin. When he's talking, he's not just talking about the wages of sin or, or death. That's what you deserve, but here's what Jesus is going to give you as a gift. He's, he's, it's in the context of a warning that you need to stay out of sin because you died and were buried with Christ. So, so don't go back to that way of life. I mean, he, he really, I think he emphasizes the same point. You can't go back there in the end of... Uh, at the end of the, the whole discussion, the first 11 chapters of Romans, where Paul says in Romans 11, starting around verse 19 or 20, he says, uh, Do not be haughty, but fear. If God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God. On those who fell severity, but toward you goodness... If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. So this is not a this is not a, a blank check that, that God's forgiven you your sins and, and you you and you're you're going to be uh, with God for eternity no matter how you live. No, he says he says that consider the kindness and the sternness of God. You have to continue in his goodness, you have to continue in his kindness, or otherwise you'll be cut off just like the unbelieving Jews were. So let's Let's go back to Colossians chapter 2. Understanding that the, the gospel is Christ died, was buried, and resurrected, and raised up to heaven. And that if we die with him, we can look forward to being raised up with him. Really, uh, Paul develops this beautifully in Colossians chapter 2 and chapter 3. The implications of this. Colossians chapter 2, let's start reading in verse 20. Therefore, if you 
died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Again, he's reminding them, you've died to the basic principles of the world. You can't go back to the law of Moses. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Let's continue. Verse, chapter 3 and verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication uncleanness, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouths. Do not lie to one another since you put off the old man with his deeds and to put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there's neither Jew nor Greek, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So it starts off saying we died to the basic principles of the world, so don't go back to the law of Moses, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And then it's a beautiful statement, it says in, in verse 3, chapter 2, we died and our life is hidden in Christ. So uh, uh, that's, that's a, a beautiful picture is... That, that that our life is our life is is hidden and buried in Christ, and that since our life is hidden with Christ, we were buried with Christ and we're raised with Christ. And where is Christ now? It says throughout the New Testament, He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and uh, so we have to set our minds where Christ is, which is in the heavenly realm. Uh, not on things of this earth. Our mind must be where he is because we have died with him and our life is hidden in Christ. So, question or challenges. What are the things that you are consumed with in life day to day? What has been on your mind? What are you worried about? What are your, what are your greatest passions? 
the things that you care the most about, think the most about, and devote the most energy to? Are they the things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly realm? Most of us are, I stop and think about this, I'm, I'm concerned about the things of this world and the things of this earth. And it says, no, you've died, and you, your mind needs to be where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And Paul here then calls, when he talks about how we have died with Christ, and our mind needs to be where Christ is now, as a part of the death, the, the death that we have undergone, uh, and, and our, our lives being hidden in Christ. He, he gives three successive challenges. So I think of these as at three levels. And the first, the first challenge is to turn away from the gross sins of the flesh. Uh, in Colossians 3, verses 5 to 7, let's start at the first, at, at the base camp here is ascending the mountain. Therefore, put to death, since we have died with Christ, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived with them. So he says, this is the way you used to live. This is the way the pagans are living. It says, you need to put those things to death in your life. You can't allow those things to come back in your life. You died to those things, the gross sins of the flesh. And here we are at the end of the year. This is a wonderful time as things slow down a little bit to take inventory of your life, how you're doing spiritually, how you've done in the last year, what you want, where you want to go in the next year. And this is the first level for us to check out. How have you been doing in the gross sins of the flesh? And here he talks about uh, immorality. And I think about uh, pornography, lust, the internet pornography, things like that, that, that pull people back into the world. Take inventory of your life. If anything is, is like that in your life, confess your sins to a trusted brother or sister who can hold you accountable and repent and, and put that to death again. Another one we don't think about as much is coveting. Is This is one of the Ten Commandments, and he says coveting, which is idolatry. Coveting can be, what is coveting? is wanting something that somebody else has. And it could be their house, it could be their wealth, their bank account, their job, uh, their physical appearance, their family, it could be anything. Their, their spouse, their husband or wife is, is coveting. Something that someone else has, rather than being content. We have died with Christ, and we're content with what Christ has given us. And he says, covenanting is, is basically idolatry. Wanting all this stuff that you don't have. Uh, so that's the first, the, first, the first challenge, the first level, is putting to death the basic sins of the flesh, the, the gross sins of the flesh. The second level is other sins of the flesh which may not seem quite as severe as the first batch, but he says we need to put these to death also. In verse 8, But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who has created him. 
where there's neither Jew nor Greek, circumcised nor earth, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So he says you need to put to death the, all these other passions, the second level. And for many Christians, this is more of a battleground than the first level. And these things can come out in our closest relationships more than any place else. Husbands and wives. And uh, Allison's here. She's like, uh, what are you talking about here? Husbands and wives. You know, people tend, let's face it, people tend to marry their people who are, you know, the old saying opposites attract. People who people tend to get married who are really different from each other. Okay. <laughs> and... Uh, most most married couples I know that makes the marriage exciting, and, it, and so you're initially you're drawn to each other, you're you're opposed, and then you can you can drive each other crazy. So, so this is this is where this is the spiritual battleground for many of us, where we're dealing with anger, and bitterness, and resentment, and things that bad things that are coming out of our mouths. And he says you need to put those things to death also. And you can't make any excuses. You need to deal with your own life. It's, it's, you know, a lot of times a, 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 a husband and wife are, are disagreeing with each other and they'll go to a Christian for counseling or for advice. And, um, you know, I'll say, well, and, and the first thing is, well, you don't understand. They're doing this, this, and this. And the other person will say, well, you don't understand. They're not doing this, this, and this. And he, Paul just says, you need to put these things to death. You need to put anger to death. There's no excuse for this. To put anger and deceit and, and all of these other sins to death. And I think of what Jesus said in, in Sermon on the Mount, also Luke 6, 41, 42. He says, why do you look at the speck of your brother's eye and don't perceive the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck from your eye when you yourself do not see the plank in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. Luke 6, 41 and 42. It says, deal with yourself. We need to deal with the anger in our own hearts and the, the filthy things that come out of our mouths and, and any deceit that's in there. And then the third level, as we're ascending here, the gross sins of the flesh, the other sins of the flesh, and then and then the third level of the challenge that I see here, verse twelve, and and this is the one that that uh, that uh, is is uh, uh, is most convicting to me at this point in my life, right here, and verse twelve. Therefore, is the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you also were called in the body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So this is, this is, this is much harder. Not only do we have to put to death the things of the flesh, 
the gross sins of the flesh, the other sins of the flesh, but we have to put on the character of Christ. But this is, if we're going to die with him and be raised with him, we have to put on the character of Christ, the tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, forgiving other people as we want Christ, as, 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 as we want Christ to forgive us as well. Um, I remember there was a, a couple that had asked us for marriage counseling at one point in time, and uh, uh, they heard a lesson on, on this, this passage of Scripture right here, and were so convicted by this. One of the, the members in the couple was so convicted by this passage right here that we just read that uh, the person just basically repented on the spot and, and felt like they didn't need any marriage counseling anymore. <laughs> because if you just take a look at these, at this, this is some of the greatest advice for any kind of relationships. Deal with yourself. Die to the sins of the flesh and put on the character of Christ. Um, this, is, this is the challenge of, of a lifetime to me. I'm reminded of what James said. When you hear the word of God, it's like looking in the mirror. You need to do what it says. Don't just, don't just, don't just turn away from it. You need to put these things into practice. In Colossians chapter one, uh, chapter three, and verse eighteen. Let's continue. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things. This is well pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So he's talking about people in all different situations, husbands, wives, children, masters, servants. Whatever, whatever relationship you're in, whatever the unique challenges of that relationship are, he calls us, to die to the sins of the flesh and die to selfishness and to be like Christ in that relationship, to put on the character of Christ, to have our have our, our hearts and minds lifted up to the place where Christ is. And that's the spirit of that's the spirit of Christ. Is I've died, I, I have been buried, I've died to the old sins of the flesh, my mind is raised where Christ is, and that governs. How I live my life, and that governs all the relationships that, that I'm a part of. It says to the slaves, you serve your masters as if you're serving the Lord. He says to the masters, you treat your slaves as someone who's going to have to give an account to, to, your own, to, to your own master. That If you're being abusive to your servants, how do you think your master's going to treat you? Basic spiritual principle that, uh, as Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, who, are, who are our debtors. In, in, the, in Matthew 6, in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 7 is, with the judgment you judge, you'll be judged, and the measure you use will be measured back to you. And, and here he says the same thing. Masters, 
Treat your servants with the attitude that you have a master in heaven who you're, who's going to have to who you have to have to give account to. So treat them the same way that you want to be treated in in that relationship. <clears throat> Colossians chapter four and verse two. Paul closes with a wonderful emphasis on prayer. Colossians four two. Continue earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word and speak the mystery of Christ for which I also am in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom to those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Ticket gets a beloved brother, Faithful minister and a fellow servant of the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that he, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who have the circumcision they have proved to be a comfort to me. Then verse 11, verse 12, Epaphras, who was one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. I bear witness... I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and for those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. And he continues from there with his, his closing reading. So Paul, at the end of his letter, is asking for prayers. Paul is concerned about prayers on his behalf. He says, continue earnestly in prayer, be vigilant with thanksgiving. And he asks specific, what does Paul want prayers for? He asks that God will open a door, that he can speak the mystery of Christ and make him manifest. Paul is concerned about lost souls, and he wants, he prays that God can open a door. Uh, it reminds me of what he says in his closing in Ephesians, when he's talking about the the spiritual, the unseen spiritual battle that we're involved in. He talks about all the, the armor, putting on the full armor of God. He closes in talking about prayer. Ephesians 6, starting at verse 17, he says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit, being watchful to this end with perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul, Paul's in prison. He doesn't ask that he could be released from prison. He asks that he have opportunity to preach the gospel. He prays for open doors, and he prays for boldness. So, and he, he's encouraging the, the brothers and sisters to be praying for him all the time and fervently. So a question for you is, when you ask other people for prayers, do you ask them with the same intensity that Paul does? 
And do you ask them for the same things that Paul is praying for here? You say, please, can pray, just pray that God gives me an open door. Pray that God gives me boldness that I can proclaim the gospel and save lost souls. And then he, he closes here with talking about Epaphras. Epaphras, he says, is one of you. And, and Philemon, uh, verse 23, Paul says, refers to Epaphras as a fellow prisoner for Christ. So Paul's in chains, and at least during part of the time he's in prison, uh, Epaphras was there with them. And so he says, Epaphras, one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. I bear witness he has great zeal for you and for all those in, in, the, in the surrounding towns Laodicea and Heropolis. Uh, in the ESV it says, it says that Epaphras is always struggling on your behalf in prayer. I first learned this, this in the NIV years ago. It says he's always wrestling in prayer for you. So this is the picture is that Epaphras, Paul knows that Epaphras is praying with great fervor and intensity that the, that the Christians in, in Colossae and the surrounding towns can be perfect, can be complete, can stand. Uh, and I think I'm, I'm reminded of what it says in uh, James 5, 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much from the uh, New King James. So, Closing with the importance of prayer and holding up the example of Epaphras as a great prayer warrior who is struggling passionately and earnestly and faithfully in prayer. Paul wants them to have the same same heart and the same attitude. So, just just uh, just concluding here, on the things that we've looked at, Paul reminds us that we've been buried with Christ. Now, looking backward, he's he's referring to baptism. You were buried with Christ in baptism and raised with Christ where Christ is. But that, that says something significant about baptism, but it also says something very significant about how we live our lives. As Paul said, this is a faithful saying, if we died with him, we will live with him. And dying with Christ, as Paul explains in Colossians and in Romans, is not just about getting baptized. That is, that is where we are buried with Christ. But we have to remain dead. We have to die to sin. We die to sin then. We've got to stay dead to sin. And we have to bury ourselves. We, our life has to be hidden in Christ and put Christ on and put on the character of Christ, which is getting rid of all the sins of the flesh and then putting on the meekness, the compassion, the long-suffering, and, and all the other wonderful attributes of Christ and the willingness to forgive other people who sin against us. So, this is the challenge. This is the Christian life. The Christian life is not just about following a rule book of New Testament doctrines. It's not just about believing in Christ and accepting what he did for us. It's understanding that the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus that we must, if we die with him and we're buried with him and are raised with him and remain faithful, we persevere to the end, that we can, we can look forward to being resurrected uh, on the last day and being with him forever. And I'm reminded what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus 
that if one died for all, then all died. He died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Amen.